All right, well, we're going to dive in. We're going to get started so we can be mindful of our time together. I do want to let you know that uh, all this content, uh, the base of it comes from an um, organization called the Bible Project. And so if you want to learn more, deepen your study, uh, uh, along with a lot of different topics, you can Google the Bible Project. Their website is Bible Project, not the Bible Project, but it's Bible Project, I believe, .org. And, um, and so they have a lot of different uh, Bible study resources, and this comes from one of, the, one of theirs. And so what I did was uh, take their study and strip it down as a base to build off of. Um, and so that's um, where the, the, the meat of this comes from. And so if you want to know more about that, it's the Bible Project. So let's recap of what we've been talking about this past Wednesday, and then what we're going to talk about tonight. We uh, saw last week that as we... Um, reorient ourselves or go back to uh, the way the biblical authors view the Bible and how they saw the world uh, and in the lens in which they wrote the Bible, uh, we had to get a, a biblical worldview uh, from the ancient writers. Uh, in doing that, we saw in Genesis that there are two um, realities, two realms, if you will, that God created. He created the heavenlies and he created the earth. And in those, he also uh, filled them with inhabitants, with, with things to inhabit those spaces. And so uh, on earth, it is human beings, and in the heavenlies, it is spiritual beings. And these uh, two uh, realities, realms, are not so divided that there's a gap in between them, but they actually overlap. And so where there are... Um, um, spiritual beings that operate here on earth as well. And I know that sometimes that's strange to our ears, uh, but that was the reality of the, uh, of the ancient writers, of when they were writing. It was not strange to their ears. They uh, understood this. And so uh, we are trying to just uh, dive back in with a lens uh, that they would have to, to see what God was doing when he created this. Why did he create these two um, realms, if you will? Uh, why did he fill them? And uh, why did he set rulers, we saw that last week too, over both of these? And so we see a lot of parallelism uh, between the two. Um, and so we're just jumping into what, is these, what are these spiritual beings? Because um, it's kind of weird sometimes. It's kind of like, I just don't even fool with that. Or, uh, or we just chalk it up to um, there's angels and there's demons and that's it. Well, we, uh, as we go through this study, we're going to see that there actually is a lot more, uh, that, that there's different classes of these things. And so uh, this isn't something for us to be intimidated by or scared of. Um, when the Bible talks about hard things, uh, we don't run from that. We embrace that, and we're going to uh, open our hearts to just say, God, what are you saying? Why is this in the Bible, and uh, what can we learn from it? And so uh, today we're going to, uh, as last week we just kind of stepped back and had a 30,000-foot view, we're going to take a little bit closer step. We're not going to dive really deep into certain classes. We'll actually do that next uh, Wednesday night as we talk about uh, the divine council and what that is. Uh, but we're, we're going to talk uh, still an overview, um, and it's, we're going to look at a group. It's a classification that we see in the Bible um, of spiritual beings, and all these spiritual beings fall under this class. Uh, and so we're going to do really a word study of what this class is, and it is on the word Elohim. Elohim. And you'll see that in your um, notes tonight, that we're going to do a study on the word Elohim. Um, the word Elohim is kind of uh, difficult to translate, but essentially uh, Elohim is a broad term that includes all the inhabitants 
of this spiritual realm. So if you are talking about spiritual beings that we see in the Bible, they are all in this class called Elohim. And if you um, are familiar with that term Elohim, uh, then you say, well, that's what I call our God. Our God, one of his names is Elohim. And you're partially right, but there's also other gods that are in that term Elohim. So we're going to break that down uh, to see what that word actually means. And so you'll see in your notes that the Hebrew word Elohim and the Greek word Theos is often translated as God in the Bible. Uh, it's important for us to note, note that the Old Testament was written in Hebrew and the New Testament was written in Greek. And so uh, that's why we provide the Hebrew and the Greek words so we can see that there. Uh, and m- many modern readers like myself think of Elohim as another divine title for God in the Bible, which is true, but it's not that simple. So these words like Elohim have different nuances uh, than our modern vocabulary of God whether that's a big G God or a little G God. Um, so it's, Elohim refers to a class of spiritual beings rather than uh, specifically Yahweh. Yahweh, when we say Yahweh, we're referring to uh, our God, uh, the Hebrew God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one that we serve. And so um, it's, it's important for us as we go through this to uh, recognize that and, and call him Yahweh just for the sake of us understanding uh, when we use the word Elohim, whether or not we're talking about uh, lowercase gods or, or the big G God. Um, but the God of, that we serve uh, is Yahweh. And so we, since we translate Elohim into God, whether it's little G or big G, there's, we lose some of the meaning in, in, in English. And so we're like, well, uh, who's he talking about? You know, is it talking about uh, a false God or is it talking about the one true God? And so uh, we're going to dive into that. Uh, so that we can see uh, what it's all about. So I want to start with uh, the forms of the Hebrew word Elohim. And to do that, we see the word Elohim in Genesis 1, chapter 1. You'll see there in your notes. That it says, in the beginning, Elohim. That is the Hebrew word for God used there. Elohim created the skies and the land. So the Hebrew word Elohim, that's the most common Hebrew term for God or a deity, um, but it's not the only word. So uh, before we kind of break it down, we're going to really tear that word apart. Uh, I want us to know that Elohim is a lengthened plural form of this cultural word for deity. So Elohim is actually a plural form, and we're going to jump, we'll learn more about that as we go in, but it is a lengthened form of the word God. So the, the um, the root word there is El, E-L, El. And that cultural word is not a name, but it's a title. So El is not a name, but it's a title that describes a type of being. Okay, so namely, it, El would, would describe a type of being that's in the spiritual um, realm, if you would. Uh, so this word occurs in many forms throughout the Hebrew Bible. Hebrew Bible being the Old Testament. Uh, The Old Testament, uh, the only difference there is the Hebrew Bible rearranges them a little bit. They're not in the same order, uh, but same books. So to us, uh, when we say Hebrew Bible, that is the Old Testament. Um, And so uh, in the Old Testament, there are multiple forms of this word Elohim. Um, An example would be, for us to kind of understand, would be the word mom. 
the word mom. There are several moms in the room, but if you are a mom, you play a particular role in, a, um, you have a, in the family. You have a certain classification. So uh, the word Elohim is similar to something like mom. If I, if I was to say mom and Mr. David was to say mom, we're talking about two different moms, right? Even though that's their, their title, so to speak. And so, um, so that we want, that's kind of an example there. Just keep that in your mind as we go through this. So let's start with the root there of El, E-L. And this is a title meaning deity or divine being. You see it there in your notes. You see that it also occurs 235 times in the Hebrew Bible. So in the Old Testament, 235 times, uh, which, by the way, that's 24 books in the Old Testament. Uh, and this, the, the noun likely derives from a verb uh, called yul, uh, meaning to be strong. All right, and there's the reference uh, there for that. Uh, we see this word El uh, in other texts, um, ancient texts. The Canaanite text, uh, they um, use this word to refer to the God that they were serving at the time. Uh, they believed that their God ser- um, was on this sacred mountain in Canaan, and he was kind of the chief God uh, there. Um, we also see it in some other t- ancient texts. In northern Canaanites, they served a God named El, um, that was like gray-bearded. They saw him as the father of all humanity, that kind of stuff. Uh, I want us to know that because um, the, the uh, writers of the Hebrew Bible probably got their concept, their language from those Canaanites. Um, and so um, that's kind of where it kind of originated. And so this short form, short form L, like I said earlier, can also have plural endings like I am. So I am in the word Elohim is the plural form, okay? And this is also found in the, if you just take E-L and then I-M, Elim, that also is used in the Bible to describe God. Um, that's, all, that's in Psalms 29, verse 1. Psalms 29, verse 1 uses that word, E-L-I-M. And also Psalm 89, verse 7 uses that word. Both times, when they use that word, E-L-I-M, refers to the divine counsel. And we're going to talk about what that is next week. So, anyways, I know that this is a lot of this uh, nerdy stuff, but hang with me, we're going somewhere. Um, and so you can also see in your notes there some, some references to where they used E-L in Genesis thirty-three twenty, Genesis 46. You see all those uh, there all the way down. Uh, so we, just, we established that the root of this comes from, uh, of Elohim, is El. And we see that it can uh, mean God, but then also it can be a plural form where they add I-M to it. Um, there's another form as well, if you would ch- uh, turn your paper over, or maybe it's on this paper. Y'all's notes might be a little different than mine, where it says E-L-O-A-H. So they add, a o, or they add an, an A-H to it. This is also an alternate form of God, of L. It's used 57 times. And I want to bring this one up because... Um, it is a um, composite word made of two syllables, E-L and A-H, which translated into Arabic is Allah. Okay? So this is where the Muslim faith, Islam faith, get the word Allah. Now in our Bible, mainly in Job, it is translated E-L-O-A-H um, a lot of times. And I want to point this out because there are people of the, of the uh, Muslim faith that will say that, well, Christians and Muslims serve the same God. 
They will say, no, no, we start, we're, we're serving the same God. We just don't believe that, that Jesus is the, the, the Son of God, that he, is, uh, he was just a prophet. He was not some divine person. Um, and, and there's a lot of similarities to Islam and Christianity. Um, but what Islam is, is it is a direct attack on Christianity. So you have other religions, um, uh, Buddhism, for, or, for instance. That's, they're not directly attacking Christianity. They're, they're off worshiping their God. Like, they're not concerned about our God. They don't see our God as a threat. They're, you know, Hindus don't see our God as a threat. They're, they're worshiping their thousands of gods. But, but Islam is a direct attack on Christianity. Um, I keep some notes in my phone. Um, for, this is weird, but for, from different uh, religions and what they believe, because if I encounter one of, somebody of that faith, I want to be able to, to um, say some stuff. And so I, I refresh myself today on some of the things uh, about Islam. And, and I want to just share a couple things so that you can see how it is an, an attack on Christianity, how the devil, who is behind all other religions, by the way, we'll talk about that too, uh, uses it uh, to, target Christi- to target Christianity and to t- try to take over Christianity and try to confuse Christians. Uh, but, but see how, as I share these things, think about how twisted the devil's taking the truth and he's perverting it. He's twisting it. That's what he does. And so, so for instance, um, well, this is just a fun fact. Uh, Muhammad was the founder of Islam, and he didn't, found, he didn't uh, come up with this until 600 years after Christ, by the way. So uh, Muhammad is that. Um, so they, um, let's, let's see which one they, we want to point out. Okay, so um, Muhammad wrote the Quran, and that's their version of the Bible. And uh, he wrote it over a period of 20 years. And he believe, they believe that it is the final revelation given by Allah to mankind. So they, they say, no, your Bible's wrong. Our Bible's right. God spoke to Muhammad, and Muhammad is the only one that could hear from God and get this divine revelation. Uh, and, and so we know that our, our Bible was made up of a lot more writers than that. Um, so they say Jesus is just a prophet, so that's a direct attack. Uh, they say that, um, that he was sent by Allah uh, but he, and that he was born a, a virgin, but he's not divine. So he, they're, they're teeter-tottering. They're, they, hey, he was born of a virgin, but he's not divine. Um, yeah. So they also uh, believe that Jesus Christ was not crucified, but that he was raised to heaven. So see how there's a, they, believe, they wanted you to believe a little bit of it, but no, he really wasn't crucified. Um, they also uh, believe in the um, angel Gabriel, and they say that Gabriel appeared to Muhammad, um, and that's how he got his stuff. Um, let's see here. There's, I could go on all this kind of stuff here. They, um, they have a bunch of this stuff. They say, okay, sin. They believe that, that nobody was born sinful. We believe we were born sinful, right? Uh, they, they believe that there's no concept of original sin um, and that there is no kind of atonement for your sin, um, that we were just all born sinless, and that because we're weak, we started to sin. They believe that salvation is achieved by good works. That's an attack on the Christian faith. We believe that it's not by works, but by faith alone. Um, and then also, uh, when it comes to eternity, um, they believe in a place of torment and fire, similar to what we would say hell, uh, but they, they believe that you don't stay there forever, that you can uh, get, get out of hell pretty much. So anyways, I know that was kind of uh, um, off the target there, but I want us to just know that there are other religions out there that aren't just harmless. 
It's not like they're just, oh, let them serve their God, let them do their thing. No, no, that one particularly is targeting Christians. Uh, they, are, they are trying to uh, deceive Christians, convert Christians, um, and they're still about a billion people short of Christianity, but they're, they're, they're there. Um, and so, anyways, sorry, let's pick up in our notes um, and get to the word that we've looked to study, and that is Elohim. Elohim, you'll see that's there after Eloah. Oh, did I talk about Eloah? I didn't, did I? No, let's, let's hit a couple things. Uh, I stopped after I said um, that it was Arabic for Allah. Um, let's, let's talk about it a little bit. That is Eloah is a title for Yahweh. It's used in Job. I think I told you that. Job 41 times. Um, also in Job, I think it's important if you want to write it down, uh, the word El, E-L, by itself is used 55 times in the book of Job. And Shaddai, which means powerful one, like El Shaddai, uh, is used 31 times in the book of Job. Um, and this word Eloi, Eloah, is synonymous with Elohim and other divine titles, um, but they always refer to Yahweh, most, more likely, more than not, they always refer to Yahweh. So, uh, anyways, I know that was, huh? Oh, me either. Eloah, E-L-O-A-H. I was just giving you a little bit more notes there. First page at the bottom. First page at the bottom. Sorry, mine has a little bit extra on there. I, I typed my notes out on it, so sorry, sorry. It's all right. Um, so anyways, I know I spouted off a bunch of stuff about that, but let's get to now where we're trying to get to. Elohim. Elohim. That is the word Eloah in the plural with a plural ending, I am. So remember, I am is plural, and it's used around 2,700 times in the Bible, in the Old Testament. And so this is the most common term for Yahweh, all right? So let's talk about that word. The form Elohim is technically plural. That's because it has that I am at the end of that. Um, and it can be used two different ways. It can be the plural sense of lowercase g, gods. It can be used in the plural sense of, of gods with a lowercase g. Or it can refer to the one true God of Israel, our God. And so we see it in the Bible used both ways. And so that causes a lot of confusion a lot of times. Um, you're like, well, what, is he referring to our God or is he referring to a lowercase g God? And, uh, and so as we go through this, we'll actually um, talk a little bit about how to pick out which one they're talking about um, in this. Uh, but you will see um, the, this, this word's plural meaning can refer to deities worshipped by the nations around Israel. There's some uh, references in your note, Exodus 20:30. You shall have no other Elohim before me. The Elohim of Egypt, that's, another, that's not the God we worship. Um, so there are some foreign Elohims, uh, and you see those there. Um, I think it's important to note, it's a bolded word in, in your uh, bullet there, your last point, in Deuteronomy 32, where the Israelites sacrifice to demons that are not Eloah, they're not a God, they're not an Elohim that they, that he, they had not previously known. Um, and so that's important to know there that what they're saying is um, that when they were making these sacrifices, they were actually sacrificing to demons. Um, and then the plural noun, as you see there, of Elohim can also have a singular meaning, referring to a singular, a single deity worshipped by other people like Israel's neighbors. And you see those references uh, there. And so I know that's a lot of, like a lot of 
explaining to do, but, um, and it can cause confusion because you're like, well, Elohim can be plural, but it can be singular. Like, what, what, how, what's going on? How do I know, like, if he's talking about plural gods or one true God? Well, this is um, what, what biblical scholars call the plural of majesty. The plural of majesty. An example of that would be like the skies. The skies. The skies. We say, hey, the, look, look at the skies. Like, and we're just referring to that, the sky, but it's so vast, so large, that we call it the skies. S-K-I-E-S. Um, so that would be what, what is going on here. And so um, it was a way for the Hebrew writers to describe a uh, singular entity that was so intense, so large, and they, so they used a plural noun there uh, of that. And so, um, we, and we also see that in other uh, ancient writings as well. Um, I think it's important to note, too, when you talk about the word Elohim and, and how it can refer to uh, lowercase g gods and that kind of stuff, um, that it, it also was used in 1 Samuel 28, if you want to write down the reference, 1 Samuel 28, Verse 12 and 13. 1 Samuel 28, verse 12 through 13. This is where Saul has a spirit medium conjure up the presence of the deceased Samuel. It's a weird story. But Saul goes to the spirit medium and wants him to conjure up the, the, the presence of the, of the dead Samuel. And that spirit medium says... I see Elohim raising from the ground. It was the spirit of Saul. And so that just lets us know that Elohim can also be used for a person's spirit once they die and they leave and their, their spirit is present with the Lord. Um, it is their Elohim. And so that's, again, just to complicate that word even more. Uh, where we're like, well, going into this, I just thought Elohim was the God we served. And then now I'm finding out it's a class of all kinds of spiritual beings and that since I'm a spiritual being because I, I have a spirit, when my spirit leaves and, and is with, with God, that is Elohim. My spirit is Elohim. It's, anyways, it, it, it's um, hard sometimes to wrap our mind around. So it just refers to a human who exits its body, right? So, um, so then you could, you could um, describe Elohim as a... Um, a spirit that's disembodied, um, that is, is not in a body. Um, so, uh, but, but later in, our, in the Bible, we see that biblical authors, they start to develop a more specific vocabulary uh, for these types of spiritual beings. And so you, you get to see words like angel or demon or spirits. Uh, they start to clarify. But in the ancient writers, especially in the Hebrew Bible, Old Testament, they just said Elohim. Okay, so... Now that we're all super confused and like, what, okay, what's, what's it talking about? Let's turn the page, or maybe you don't have to turn your page. I might have to turn mine, where it says, many Elohim and one God. Many Elohim, one God. All right? So, let's talk about that. So, how can Elohim mean many, but yet also mean one God? So, Yahweh is an Elohim but not the only Elohim, not the only spiritual being, but he is the most powerful and authoritative. And so this is what we're going to start to talk about, um, how he differentiates himself, how he is different than all the other Elohim, because he is the creator of all things. Okay, So he is the creator of all things, meaning that he also created the other Elohim. 
He is the supreme Elohim, if you will. Um, I'll, I'll read you this quote that I put in my notes. Um, this comes from a guy named Michael Heiser, and, um, and he, he wrote a book called The Jewish Trinity. Um, but there's a little, a little quote in here, then I apologize, should have, it should be in your notes, but it's not. This is his description of Yahweh being an Elohim. He says this, he says, Yahweh is an Elohim, but there is no other Elohim that is Yahweh. Elohim is a place of residence term. The word tells you what the proper domain is for that being. So by nature, the God of Israel, the many Elohim of God's counsel, uh, demons, angels, and departed humans like the dead Saul that we saw, are all part of a spiritual domain that's all related, but it's distinct from a physical embodied domain. So Elohim is by definition and by nature a disembodied entity. So the word can refer to many different beings who inhabit that spiritual realm. Okay, so um, there's some scriptures there that kind of talk about that. They're, they're in your notes of how Elohim, Yahweh, is the, the Lord of Lords. He is the Elohim of Elohims. There's some scripture references uh, to that. I do want to point out in your notes, 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. Uh, we'll read it um, out loud, and then I'll, I'll make a comment on it. This is Paul talking in the New Testament. And he says, Therefore, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world. Well, wait, hold on. I thought there was a bunch of idols in the world. So what's he talking about? And that there is no God but one. Well, hold on. I thought there was a lot of gods. Okay? For even if there are so-called gods, so now he's clarifying. So even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, so he's clarifying, and yet for us there is but one God. So what he's saying is, what he's saying is, is, is when he says there is no such thing as an idol, he's saying that that statue, that inanimate object there, is not an Elohim, or in the Greek, theos. But he's not de denying the fact that there are, in fact, other spiritual beings that people worship. He's just saying that they are not like our God. Our God is the chief God, the, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Uh, there is no God beside him that can pair to him. Um, and so that's what Paul's drawing out. And we're actually going to talk about that uh, on the, like the last page of our notes. But I do want to talk about uh, monotheism and polytheism. Uh, and I told, you we were, I told you last week these Wednesday night studies were going to go below the surface, right? We're, we're, we're growing a little bit. Monotheism and polytheism. We won't go into it too much, but I think it's important for us to know about it. The, bib the biblical portrait of a populated spiritual universe is sometimes thought to contradict the concept of monotheism, which is the belief that there is only one God. This problem is caused by our English word God, whether that's a uppercase G or a lowercase G, because it has two meanings. All right, So we see here in our notes... That God with a capital G refers to one all-powerful creator, deity that's referred to in the Abrahamic religious traditions like Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Um, which, by the way, is an attack on Christianity, like we said earlier. So that's not something that we follow. Um, and then lowercase g, God, refers to a deity of lesser status or power. Um, so they are a lesser God. So the problem is, is that English speakers use one word. Either they just capitalize the, the G or not. And so it can be very 
confusing uh, for this. But um, there was no tension for the biblical writers uh, in calling Yahweh Elohim. They knew who he was. They knew that he was the chief Elohim. Um, but, um, but, it, but it can cause confusion in modern, in modern writers. Um, along that lines, some people mistake the biblical idea that there are many Elohims with the concept of polytheism. So when we say, oh, well, there are many spiritual beings that are Elohims, then we could think, well, then you serve multiple gods. And what different are you than, than the Hindus who have a thousand gods or, or those kind of things? But this is an, e- an easy mistake to make, um, but it's not true. It's incorrect. Um, polytheism refers to a religious worldview that believes uh, in the spiritual realm that there are many deities that rival each other for status and power Um, Think of like the Greek gods and Mount Olympus kind of things. That would be polytheism where they are a bunch of gods and they are are fighting for power and for status to be the chief of all that. Um, This is not the same as what the Bible talks about, monotheism, which claims that only Yahweh is the creator. He is the ruler of all things and he rules over everything, including the other Elohim. Um, uh, A reference to that that would be good for you to know would be Psalms uh, 97. Psalms 97 verse 9 says, You, Yahweh, are the most high Elohim over the land. You are exalted above all Elohim. So he is the one that is above every god. And so don't fall trapped to polytheism or thinking that there are multiple gods. Um, There are people that that worship other gods. They're just not real gods. They are demonic. It is a trick of the enemy. It is a false thing. It is a false god. They are not real. And so um, their god is not alive. Their god is dead. Um, and we'll talk a little bit about, more about that in a minute. Uh, look at the next section. What about the no other god passages in the Bible? Right? So we're talking about, you're saying Elohim means a lot of gods. You're saying Elohim means that there are multiple gods. Well, what about the passages in the Bible that say there are no other gods? Well, it's kind of what we just talked about. When, when the Bible talks about there is no other God but Yahweh, he's saying there's no one that compares to Yahweh, that he is the chief God. Uh, he is the Elohim of Elohim. Um, and so you can kind of see that in your table um, in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4 has some interesting verses in there. Uh, you'll see in the NIV version, that it, the bolded text, the Lord is God, um, and beside him there is no other. The literal, literal Hebrew you see there says that he is the Elohim. There is not another except for him. So they put this word the in there. It's ha, ha Elohim. So ha Elohim. So he is the chief God. That's how the literal Hebrew writers would distinguish when they're talking about Yahweh. They would put that he is the Elohim, the ha Elohim. And then verse 39 says the same thing. Uh, but these, all these no other God passages are found in context that, that talks about other gods. So write down, since we're in Deuteronomy chapter 4, write down Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19. It's, it's, it's right in the same context just to give you reference that there are other gods. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 19 This is where God says to his people, he says, Do not lift up your eyes to the heaven and see the sun, the moon, and the stars. This is a scripture from last week. All the host of heaven, that's spiritual beings, and be drawn away and worship them and serve them. 
those which the Lord your God has allotted to all the people under the whole heaven. So he's saying that there are other gods. Don't look up to the heavens and worship these other Elohims. So, there, so when he says there is no other God, he's meaning there's no one that compares. He's, re, he's not referring to their existence. He's referring to their comparability. Okay, so that their, it's their comparability within this category of Elohim. Um, an example of this type of language, if you want to write down another reference, would be Isaiah 47. Isaiah 47 verse 8. We see this same type of language here when Babylon says this in Isaiah 47. It says, You, Babylon, say to yourself, I am, and there is no one beside me. Well, we know there were other cities other than Babylon. But what Babylon is saying is that there's nobody that compares to me, that, that I am the great city. And so that's what God is saying here. He's not say, saying there's not other gods, lowercase g, Elohims. He's just saying nobody compares to the status and the power of the God that we serve. All right? And so I know that this is a lot of information, um, a lot to take in. A lot sometimes can be uh, so much of an overload and so boring that you're like, oh, what does this matter? We're going to get to that in just a moment. But I do want to talk to you about uh, what about idol gods? What about idol gods? We hear a lot about idolatry. We, we see other religions um, that are bowing down to idols and statues. Uh, you'll hear sermons talked about how we've made idols out of things, um, how we, you know, our phone can be an idol, you know, a person can be an idol. We, we talk about all that. But all throughout the Bible, that idol was a created thing. It was an actual inanimate object. It was something that they had built and, and carved. And so here's what I'd like for you to do, just to break things up. I want you to take a minute at your table and just, let's discuss for just a moment, what are some idol gods like what the Bible describes, like actual physical things that humans have created that they see as idols, that they worship. What are some things that you are aware of that are idol gods? Let's talk about that, see if you can think of anything. Past, the past. They're still prevalent today, but I'm not talking about things like your phone. I'm talking about actual, I built this with the intent of worshiping this idol. So what are some things that we still see today that we, that we see that people have built and they worship it? I'm going to see if you, can, if you can get there, see if you can notice it.
All right. Are we, do we have some ideas? Why don't you take, why don't you throw something at me? What, what did y'all come up with? Rock stars. Rock stars, okay. What else? Money. Money? TV. TV. A Buddha candle warmer, okay. <laughs> Ourselves. Sports. Huh? Celebrity. Yes, those dolls. Yes. Yes, okay. You're getting, you're getting close to what I want. Uh, what are they? There's, you know, it's like, it's, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an S word, right? Santeria. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's how you say it. Yeah, Santeria dolls. Yeah, yeah. Santeria dolls, I think is what they're called. Um, but you're getting to where I'm wanting to go. Uh, where else? What else? Anything else? Giant statues of Buddha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Giant stat- statues of Buddha. Okay. Church buildings. Yeah, okay. There you go. What? What did Brian say? The Day of the Dead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Crystals. Okay. All right. So we, in our Western minds, our Western culture, Western civilization, uh, being a, you know, coming from a Christian root system of, of this, we don't, we're not too familiar with idol worship and like actually erecting a uh, idol, building this idol, burning incense to this idol, uh, giving offerings to this idol. Um, Tony and I, when we served overseas in Vietnam, that was very prevalent. Um, every house you walked into, every business you walked into um, had an idol, an altar uh, that they would burn things to. Um, so that opened our eyes to a lot of like, okay, they believe just as much as I believe in Jesus and the cross, and all, they believe that about that, that God, and that they, by, by worshiping this idol, they are worshiping their God. And so that, I, that statue, though it's not a real God, there is something supernatural about it, because that's where they are, they're worshiping it. And if it, was, if it was not something supernatural, they wouldn't be worshiping it. Uh, and we'll hit, we'll hit that scripture that Paul talks about uh, in just a moment. Uh, but I want you now to start thinking as you go, let's just say even shopping. As you go shopping at some of your favorite stores, TJ Maxx, Home Goods, Air, Tar- Target, TJ Maxx, Home Goods, Target. Look at the home decor se- se- section and notice how many Buddhas there are, how many Hindu gods there are, the ones with the long earlobes uh, or all the, the jewelry on that. That, to a Hindu um, or to a Buddhist, is just as spiritual, just as powerful as our cross. And so, um, for me, seeing that overseas, seeing those same exact images, the same images that I see when I go to every hibachi restaurant, the same statues, I've seen people bow down and worship those things, burn incense to those things. And so then you read scriptures like 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 10. Let's see if it's in our notes. No, it's just in mine. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. I'll read it, but you can write it down. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19 and 20. Listen to what Paul says, because Paul's concerned because there are some Christians that are going to the local temples, the idol temples, uh, because they're, they're, they're trying to eat some food, um, and they will un, unknowingly end up under this influence of this 
Spiritual power. This is what he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 19. He says, Do I mean that the food sacrificed to an idol is anything? Or that the idol is anything? No. But the sacrifices of the pagans are offered to demons, not to God. So when they offer these things, even though that statue is nothing, the food that they offered it is nothing, they're not offering it just to that object, they're offering it to demonic powers. They are worshiping demons, okay? Um, and so he says, and I do not want you to be participants with demons, okay? Now, this is not to make us scared. We're not going to not stop eating at Akita because they have these Hindu, or, or sorry, Buddhist gods uh, statues uh, that we have power and dominion over in any dark force. But I want you to be aware of your surroundings. I want you to be aware of what's in your home. I want you to be aware of the things that we associate ourselves with, that we're just so ignorant because we don't see it. We don't see those things being worshipped. And so we're like, well, that's nothing. It's just a cool home decor piece. Uh, no, no, that, that's some spiritual things. And so we just need to be aware of those kind of things. And so let me make sure that I didn't miss anything. Um, oh, idol gods. Let's make sure that uh, we... Um, give you some references uh, to this. When we talk about idol gods, you'll see Psalm 115, uh, verses 3 through 8 in, in your uh, text. Um, and we see how they are, these idols are just silver and gold made with hands and they, they, they don't have mouths or eyes. They can't, or they have those things, they just can't use them, those kind of things. But let, let's write down the reference, Jeremiah 10, verses 1 through 6. Jeremiah 10, verses 1 through 6 we will see God talking about idol worship. Isaiah 44, verse 9 through 20. Isaiah 44, verse 9 through 20. In these passages, Jeremiah 10 and Isaiah 44 and even Psalm 135, they are just kind of sarcastically lampooning over these. Like they're like, ah, that's nothing. Those idols, they're mocking them essentially is what they're doing. But since they're mocking them, and since they're just an inanimate object, we can't, we can't disqualify it and not think that these spiritual beings that are associated with these things are not very real. Um, they are very real. Um, and so these texts are not an argument about the non-existence of other spiritual beings. Um, they are very well alive and, and active. Uh, just that God is not a real God. It is false God. There are... We, there is the one true God, um, and so uh, we need to be aware of that. If you like rabbit holes, if you like uh, to dive into things, I believe that the Jeremiah 10 scripture um, is the scripture that a lot of people will use um, to say you shouldn't have a Christmas tree. If you, if you ever are curious about that, you can look up Jeremiah 10, 1 through 6. Um, I, don't, I do not know if that's a misinterpretation of that scripture or, or people are twisting it to fit their agenda, but if there is somebody who would say that they don't want a Christmas tree in their house, this is typically the scripture that they use. I'm pretty sure. Jeremiah 10, uh, verses 1 through 6. Uh, just for all y'all folk that like to go down the rabbit holes. Um, okay, let me see if there's anything else with idol gods. Uh, I brought up uh, the word talking about how um, these are sacrifice, sacrifices to demons. Um, I think it's, it's worth knowing um, that the Greek word for demon it does refer to an evil spiritual being, but it means to a lower level spiritual being. And so uh, demons are not some high-ranking spiritual being that have a lot of authority. They're actually the opposite. 
uh, they will present themselves as such and try to make you believe that they are, but they are actually very low-level spiritual beings. Um, and so uh, don't be afraid of those. So um, you'll see some conclusion points uh, in your notes there. Um, I'll hit them real fast. I think that it's just worth us knowing that the word Elohim is a category title, um, that there is only one chief Elohim, uh, and that is our God, Yahweh. Um, he is, uh, in the Hebrew Bible, called Yahweh, and in the New Testament, he is called Father. He is our Father. He is our God. We call him Abba, Father. Um, just a funny story. I was getting on to Azariah today, uh, which is par for the course, pretty common. And, um, and I had told him to do something. And he said, when I, something along the lines of, I'm not doing it. And that's, again, par for the course. I, and, uh, and I said, I am your dad. No, I'm, I'm back. I said, I am your father. You do what I say. He said, no, you're not. God's my father. <laughs> and I just, I just walked away. I, yeah. So, yeah. I, it was a proud moment because I'm like, man, he is quick with it. And it's almost like he'd been waiting on me to say it. Like, he'd been thinking about it. Like, yes. So, anyways, that is Azariah. So, Father is our God in the New Testament. But why does all this matter? Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, okay, then this is boring. Okay, this is deep. Okay, th is this even relevant? Like, why are we just talking about this on a Wednesday night? Can't we pick the book of Colossians and just talk about who we are in Christ and the love and the, the peace and all these spiritual blessings with Christ? Why are we talking about it? Number one, because it's in the Bible. Okay, so we as a Christian cannot cherry pick the scriptures that we want to gravitate towards and, and cling to. Uh, if it's in the Bible, we should embrace it and, and, and look at it and think, okay, why is it here? What is God trying to say? Because the Bible is God-inspired, right? Right? So it wasn't just words on some pages that some guys thought of. This was the Holy Spirit inspiring these writers to write this text over some 4,000 years, right, of 66 different books, um, 40 different authors of this. And so, first and foremost, we need to understand that it's the Bible. we got to talk about it. Um, I don't know why, but I like to talk about things that not a lot of people talk about. I'm like, hey, it's in there, because I'll read it, and I can't just read over it. Like, I, I read it, I'm like, why is it there? Like, what does that mean? Like, I, if this is God's Word... And it is truth, and it is sharper than any double-edged sword, and it pierces into my heart, and it's going to correct me and convict me, and it's going to bring encouragement, and it's going to lead me and guide me. I can't just read over it and be like, ah, I don't know what that's talking about, and keep going. So that's probably the first thing. But I do want us to know, too, that there um, is this heavenlies, spiritual realm, and I want us to talk about it from a biblical sound mind, because probably in, in all of our cases, when we hear people talk about these kind of things, they're like way over in left field. Like, they're like, oh my gosh, like you are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Like, like you know, you're making God to see, be, out, to be somebody weird, and, you're not, and God's not weird, you're weird. Like, like please stop. But, but so I want us to just have, what does the Bible say about it? Let's, let's just look at uh, those kind of things. Um, but there are, uh, there are these spiritual beings, and it's hard sometimes for our minds to just totally understand it. Do I totally get it? No. Do I totally comprehend it? No. But I understand that there is 
the spiritual, the heavenlies, and that God created these things, and he filled them with inhabitants, and, and they're all for the purpose of his honor and glory. I think it's another thing we need to know. Everything that God created in its original intent was for his praise, honor, glory. It was all to worship him. Uh, those spiritual beings, some of those, cho- they chose, like humans, they chose to rebel. They chose to be these rebel spiritual beings. Those are the, the demons. Those are the followers of Satan. Satan and his uh, legion of angels. Like they, they, they chose to rebel against God. And so, um, so we need to know that, that, that there are real and that there are some that rebelled um, against that. But the encouragement in this, that as we learn who our God is, so I think we should know who our God is, not just, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? Who's God the Father? Where did he come from? Not only, not, so it's, we need to know that. But we need to know that our God is chief God above all other gods. That's what sets us apart. That there is no other God like Jehovah, like, like Yahweh. He is our God. Um, and so what does that do? That empowers us to then tell other people that our God is above every God. That we need to know that, that. So that when we talk to others that say things like, well, yeah, I believe in God. Well, now you know that they can believe in a whole bunch of different gods. That just because they say they believe in God doesn't mean that they believe in Ha Elohim, like the God, right? They don't, that doesn't mean that they believe in my God. And so, um, especially uh, in today's culture with, with uh, New Age on the rise, you would get a lot of people who are spiritual. Um, you'll get a lot of people say that I believe in God. Um, so when you are witnessing to them, when you are trying to share the gospel with them, you've got to ask another question. You can't just say, do you believe in God? You're going to have to say, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe that he is the son of God? Do you believe that he died and rose again? That he is the Savior, the Messiah? You can start asking those types of questions because they'll, they will, yeah, I believe in God. And they're not talking about the God that we believe in, okay? And so this is to empower us, for us to understand what other people are going through and thinking and how they're, they're serving other gods. Uh, and we've got to make sure that they are serving the one true God. Uh, and so this is just a way to uh, equip us. Now, um, next week, uh, we will... Uh, talk about the divine council. Uh, we see that, like the host of the heavenlies, the host of heaven. Uh, we'll, we'll see that. Uh, so that's where we're going to start diving in to this, this class and picking out uh, terms. Um, yeah, let me see if there's anything else in my notes that I wanted to talk about. Nope, that, I think that covers most of it tonight. So I think we're good. Um, like always, I do want to end with um, a time for uh, questions, responses. Um, if you do have a question about anything, we will, um, I'll say it out loud, I'll repeat it, and then we'll do our best to try to answer it. We're not, I'm not always right. I don't know everything. Um, and so, but we'll find out together. Like, if you have a question, we'll find out together. So, uh, let's begin. You ready? Yeah. 
Yeah. So she was just, if you didn't hear, her coworker who was Muslim uh, was talking to her and they, in, in discussion about their gods and what happens if you see them? What, what happens in the Muslim faith? Faith, well, they can't speak to their God for 40 days if they were to commit a sin. Um, so if I sin daily, man, when do I get to talk to God? That's going to be a long time. Um, yeah. It, I know, I'm not going to make it. I would not make it. Um, all right, any, any questions about last week, this week, curiosities, anything like that? You know, I'm just surprised that you showed back up, like, if we're, if we're just being honest. <laughs> if we're being honest, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. It's like, oh, Lord. Oh, I don't know. Did we grow? Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. Oh. Mike's, Mike's got it. So, um, hey, that, it doesn't. Hey, we just want to. We want to grow together. Um, I'll share this last thing. If there's no more questions, any other questions, comments? We, we will pray in just a moment for our table, like we did last week. We'll go around and share uh, amongst our table. Uh, share, uh, this last thing, um, and then we'll move into a prayer time. Uh, I shared this uh, with the team uh, the other day, um, and this is kind of just so you can hear some backstory, some vision behind why we're doing these kind of studies, while we're talking about. Uh, certain things on, on Sunday mornings even, um, how we're, as we walk through the Bible and just uh, talking about things. Uh, I really feel like as a church, and I mean, these are the, this is the core of our church here tonight, uh, as a church that we are in a season of growth. But maybe not the growth that I always would like to see, the uh, numerical growth, uh, while we are, I mean, growing numerically, um, that's not the season of growth that I feel like the Lord has us in. The season of growth that I feel like the Lord has us in is not outward growth, but downward growth. So where we're establishing a root system, uh, where we are breaking up the soil, getting out those rocks and hard places, uh, so that the Word of God can take root, grow deep. And, uh, and so as we grow deep, then we're able to uh, sustain and longevity and withstand uh, as we grow outward and upward and those kind of things. And so it's a, it's a really unique season for us as a ministry to where uh, God's just trying to get us uh, grounded and rooted and, and so that we can stand strong because um, so often uh, we, you know, churches uh, can um, draw in the masses, but then they can't keep them. They can't steward them well. They can't disciple them. And, uh, and so then they, 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 people slip through the cracks. And, and so we want to make sure that that doesn't happen as much as possible. And so uh, we're just in this really cool season of going below the surface. And, um, and it's outside of my comfort zone for sure. Uh, outside of my comfort zone. I, uh, when it comes to outward growth and numerical growth and systems and structures and all that, yeah, I, I, that's my jam. But, uh, but I have found in my life that God's best is often found outside of your comfort zone. And so I believe that for every one of our lives, that God's best for your life is oftentimes found outside of your comfort zone. And so we're going to stay uncomfortable, and we're going to let God move.